chatting today about a place in a remote area of KwaZulu-Natal, South Africa, which attracts visitors from around the world, Fugitives Drift. Here in a stunning setting, the events surrounding the biggest defeat ever suffered by British armed forces, the Battle of Isantlwana, as well as the ensuing Battle of Rourke's Drift, are emotively portrayed in a way that no book can match. Fugitives Drift was built and is run by the Rattray family. David Rattray's narrated series on the Anglo-Boer War, The Day of the Dead Moon, is a yardstick for anyone interested. He was tragically murdered. But Nicky Rattray and the family have continued and have built on his legacy. Nicky, why, but why buy Holiday Farm in the middle of nowhere when there was nothing here back then, back in, in the, the 1960s? 1960s? You know, I think Peter, my father-in-law, David's father, obviously, he'd, Doug will be able to tell you a bit more about this, but he'd had a terrible war, and he was also interested in military history, and this place spoke to him. And he was very friendly with George Bunting, who owned the farm next door, who was the authority on the Zulu War, and they became friends, and this farm became available. And George said to Peter, I think you should buy it, and so he did. And they spent many happy holidays here. So David was the face, you know, he was, sure. he was the, the face of the, the Rattray, yes. you know, um, yes. experience, as it were. But you were always behind, you know, the behind every successful man. <laughs> is a surprised woman. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. But yeah, no, look, you, you, you make the place run. Yes, so my, he my was the PR. Was, yes, exactly. So you're right. He was the face of the organisation. Yeah. I do the background work, and it was a good team. You know, I couldn't do the tours, and he couldn't do the the admin. So it worked well. And now I'm lucky enough to have Doug here, and we had Andrew here for a couple of years. In fact, for many years, my eldest son, and he did a fantastic job on the tours as well. And they've now moved. He and his wife have moved to Plate, running our new hotel there. And we've got Douglas, who is the face of the place. And he really is a chip off the old block. Has the student surpassed the, the master? Well, it's funny you ask because we, I have been told a couple of times that by guests that they think he's better than David. One has a perception, I certainly have had the perception, that sure your market is going to be a lot of Brits coming out and elderly folk. And I'm here and there are four parties and I'm probably the oldest. <laughs> <laughs> And that's interesting to me. Yes, they're sure. South Africans, yeah. but not everybody's coming here just for the for the history. No. They're coming for something else. Maybe yes. it's what you came here for in the first place. Uh, possibly, possibly. No, I mean we do we do have a, an elderly clientele, absolutely. Certainly in the in the season, which is January, February, March, we get a lot of older British people. But as the years have gone by, it's we are getting more and more young people, and I think it's just people interested in, you know, they've heard about the place and heard about the history and want to come and see it for themselves. So we're very pleased that we're getting a younger a younger audience. And also people are learning that there's more to it than just battlefields. There's mountain biking, there's walking, it's beautiful countryside, it's bush, there's game. So you don't have to do the battlefields. But no one doesn't do the battlefields, no, I'm they sure. Don't. They all do. It really is they the do. yeah. Even I mean even if you're not that interested, yes. once you once you've been there and Doug yeah. has done his magic act, what, what are we doing That's next? True. <laughs> That's true. And we, we always joke about um, people who come here and it's the man's part of the holiday and the woman come along because all right, he wants to do it. Um, and they go on one tour and then they can't wait for the next one. The retro empire is expanding. <laughs> it has expanded. We we have a property 
just outside Clevenberg Bay at the Crags, and that was David's parents' house. And so we took it over two years ago and did a big renovation, a big rebuild, and we now have an eight-roomed boutique hotel mm. there, which Andrew and Anel run. And yeah, it's very beautiful. So it's very nice to have another spring to our bow. You don't just have the one from Fairview House, there's another one in Nature's Valley. Yeah, that's our cottage. That's which, our family. Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah, which not is, for hire. It is, it okay. is, absolutely. But it's not a commercial venture. So, but it is available for rental. Douglas, you're the incumbent historian and storyteller in chief. I'd like to focus on stories and storytelling. History, and especially the history of Africa, relies on an oral tradition, on stories. And I'd love to know more about your role, your place in this tradition. It's a hard one to define that. I, I enjoy this. Um, I, I must admit I, I get a kick out of telling these stories and you know that old adage of find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I find myself drawn to, to these things and there's a, it's one of the oldest forms of getting information. It is the oldest form of getting information across before we figured out how to paint on cave walls and, 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 and chip away at rock. We'd sit around the campfire and, and, and tell stories. Here, you know, um, there's a certain sense of responsibility that one feels when entrusted with a legacy like this and stories like this. You know, obviously one doesn't want to let the family down, but at the same time, you don't want to let down the characters from history. There is a responsibility to preserve these stories as ethically as possible to try and not let one's own personal biases influence the way you deliver the story, to maintain objectivity, to uh, not get enamoured with a particular character and do the proverbial covering up of the bad and only showing the good. It's, it's a story worth preserving. Um, and and I, think it is, I think South African history by South Africans is horribly misunderstood. And I think that a lot of South Africans could benefit from actually digging down into the appalling story that is our history. And you know, in these stories of conflict and suffering and, 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 and the wickedness of human beings, you cannot help but find compassion, courage and virtue and people standing up for what is right at the risk of their own, their own beings. And, you know, I just find the whole thing inspiring. And you know, the, the, the stories carried on, they were passed down from, from father to son in Zululand and, mother to daughter, but on our side of the fence, from the Eurocentric point of view, there was this obsession with explaining away the failures of the, of the campaign, of vilifying one person or another, you know, the pointing the fingers, and, and, I, and I think the story lost its soul from, the, you know, from these European textbooks, and it's only really started to come back now with authors like Ian Knight drawing attention to the, 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 the human part of it. The, so yes, uh, there, 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 there is a a responsibility. There's a fine line that you have to try and get the information, the facts across, but at the same time you have an obligation to be entertaining and engaging. It's a fine line to walk, but it's overshadowed by, I think, for want of a better word, and you know, given this 1870s, it's a sense of duty. I personally feel a responsibility to the soldiers and warriors who died there to try and preserve their memory with sensitivity and respect. So I recently read an article by an author, Anne Cleves, on the healing that stories provide. Do the stories of the bloody battles and historic human endeavor provide that to your guests, do you think? And, and not only that, close to home, have they helped you? And I'm referring, of course, to the murder of your, your dad, David. You know, there's, um, I, think, I think that the best way of 
describing the, the healing effect that stories have is, is a catharsis. After my father was killed, we we sort of had a um, had a moment where, in the middle of it, my mother, probably the strongest human being on earth, she said, "We we will still tell all the same stories. We will still laugh at all the old jokes. The the man will be kept alive." Our family relationship with with these battles in particular, it's not with my grandfather, um, who had a, a, a shockingly terrible war. He came out to, to uh, this part of Natal uh, under much duress. Well, I mean, duress is probably not the wrong word, but he, it was a, a colleague of his who said, you need to go to the battlefields, and you need to go and listen to this man, George Bunting, and you need to go and walk those hills. It will do you wonders. And he was very hesitant. I think he had enough of war and conflict. It was balm for his tortured soul. He, he, he found peace here. My, my father as well, you know, conscripted into the army, as so many young South African men were, um, taught to, to fight and hate people who'd never done him any harm. And, you know, the, the, the loss of the, the second son in Namibia. I think this place also helped them, my mother and father. And, and, and then certainly for us, you know, I, I'm, if ever I want to hear my father's voice, I can just turn it on which some people think is a very heartbreaking experience, but also, well, it can be, it depends on your mood, you know, you can be quite melancholic or you can just sort of fool yourself. But you have that opportunity, most people don't. Yeah. yeah. How do these stories affect you and others? They, they, they pluck the, the cords deep in you and, and it's sometimes quite hard to put your finger on exactly what it was that, that moved you. I, I mean, perfect segue, my, my father used to, often say to people when they say, oh, there's so much information, I don't know if I can take it all in. He said, that's not the point. He said, if you come back from one of our tours and you cannot even remember the date, but you felt something, then we have succeeded. We're not interested in taking people out to the battlefields for one tour and then walking off the battlefield, being able to spit back at us the names and the dates and the formations and the miles and the yards and the inches. My goal is to take you onto that battlefield and not make you, but allow you to feel something. It's up to you as to whether or not you want to engage, but to feel something plucked in, you know, in, 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 the, in, your, in your soul, for want of a better word. People can get quite upset by these stories. They, they're brutal, they're awful, they're inspiring, they're magnificent, they're lovely and beautiful. It's, it's the full spectrum of human uh, barbarity and, and compassion, all wrapped up in one incredibly violent affair. The best advert for Fugitive Drift, and for South Africa actually, is Mika O'Byrne, the tame Australian as he's known, and the guest who never left. I was, uh, had been retired for a couple of years, and I had been taking overland trips in my car from Australia. I'd driven from Australia to Europe, I'd taken the car back to Australia, done a couple of charity events. Then I decided I would drive from Africa to Europe. So I shipped my car to Durban and I knew one chap on the entire African continent, he lived in Durban. He and several other people suggested that I came to Fugitive Drift. I was a bit of a reluctant participant and I was, um, I, I really wasn't interested in military history. I come from Celtic background, Irish and Scots, so I was quite happy that the English got a flogging from the Zulus. And I came up here with little or no expectations and was struck by the immensity of the story that they tell here of the Anglo-Zulu War. But I was also taken by the people who started this because as a business analyst, in my previous background, I thought it doesn't make any sense to have a business that just tells stories and, and all your clients, 80% of them, live in 
England. But I knew that extraordinary people with vision will make what appear to be you know, unsuccessful ideas work. Uh, so I was taken by that. I met Nikki. I stumbled my way through a very awkward conversation because I knew nothing about uh, the tragedy of her first husband David's death. And I was struck by her courage. I asked her why she didn't leave if her husband had been killed here. And she said to me that she wasn't a coward. And she had many people who worked here, 50 staff, all of whom fed many other people. But she said, I've built this from nothing and it's my home. And I thought she was possibly the most courageous woman I'd ever met. That increased my interest. So I um, arranged to meet her in Cape Town the following week. Uh, we had. Uh, breakfast and then she invited me to come back to the lodge and base myself here and do some trips around South Africa. I came back and I went to a big tourism in Daba with her and as I was walking around with her many people invited me to their lodges. So we went off on a trip, we hit it off pretty well. So I came here uh, with the intention of staying for a year and then my son and Nikki's youngest son got together and planned a motorbike trip from here to England. So I went along with them on my four-wheel drive to make the tea and try to keep them out of trouble. And we took some artefacts from the family's collection to present to the Royal Welsh Museum in Brecon. And then, uh, six months later, Nikki and I flew to England and we drove the car back down as far as Morocco, where she flew back and then I continued on down the west coast of Africa, back to Fugitives. So here I was, back here in Fugitives. And one morning I got up, I was making tea, of my two duties, I do tea at 6am and GMT at 6pm and I realised that I actually wasn't going anywhere and um, I thought this it works for me. So soon after that I thought I should do the right thing and I asked Nikki and she graciously accepted and uh, we were married two years ago and I said when I retired that I would either live in a cattle station miles from anywhere or I'd live in a five-star hotel. I didn't want anything in between. And my brother-in-law, who came to our wedding and made a speech, reminded me of that and said, it seems like somehow you've managed to create both. And, and I love it. Um, I think Fugitives has captured my heart and spirit. I, I like being here. There's always something to do. It's never boring. I'm very fond of South Africa. I think South African people, regardless of their racial background or origin, are incredibly resilient people. They're people who, and they will all look for a solution and go forward. It's not a country without its challenges, but almost everywhere I look, there are people with great intent and good hearts doing good work, trying to make the place better for everyone. So I find that quite exciting. If you live here, you know you're alive, and it's, it's just a great place to live. It's so beautiful. I don't have a job here, I'm not on the payroll, but I'm available to fill in the gaps. I supervise some of the GAP students, but my main job is to keep the boss happy, and everyone says if I keep the boss happy, it keeps everybody else happy. So. It's actually quite a vital role. <laughs> well, yeah, I think Douglas so. Douglas said so. <laughs> so, uh, we have a program for mostly uh, young English kids who are GAP students, often between school and university, um, and they come here for three months. It's word of mouth. A lot of them actually know each other. So, and they come here as a work experience program. Several of them have never actually had any interaction with the word work. And so we, <laughs> we have to teach them a bit about that. They're kind of uh, catch-all, they do all kinds of jobs. But partly it's a program to let them come and experience Africa. And so what, what I do with them is uh, 
take them out often clearing single track or bicycle tracks or walking tracks or any other jobs and they have a bit of a mantra here if you're a gappy and you've got nothing you're doing nothing you go and ask Nico because he's always got a job so part of our responsibility here is to a teach them how to work teach them the value of a good hard day's work but also to um, install in them some interest and many of them uh, are now after 20 years starting to come back uh, come back for a different experience and adventure in Africa and want to come here I like them I think that that they're, they're good kids and you know obviously people have volunteers and just use them up and we, we try not to use them up. We try to have them feel like they're useful and make a contribution to, to the lodge. We refer to it as Nikki Rapparay's finishing school for young English gentlemen. But uh, we've had several, we've had a couple from Australia, we've had a couple from America. We've, ha we've actually had some young South African kids too. That's the gappies. How about your education? Here I am, an Aussie who, A, not interested in military history, knew little about South Africa at all, and now I'm, in fact, going to talk to a bunch of Afrikaans farmers. It's kind of crazy that an Aussie's telling uh, South Africans a story about their own yeah. history. Yeah. And we do a lot of work, of course, as you know, with other lodges, and we're all about the same thing, about giving people an experience, uh, a, a nice experience. If you just have a general interest in the stories, you'll find that they're gripping and engaging stories. And it's a wonderful way to spend a couple of days in a really beautiful environment. Or be really careful, you could end up staying here for six or seven years. <laughs> Thanks, Nikki, Doug and Mika. You can read more about Future Swift Drift and other super places on travelog.tv and iol.co.za.